Today is Thursday, April 27th. The title for our devotional is The Power of Jesus. So far this week, we've seen that Jesus gained his power by means of the humiliation of the cross. In Mark's Gospel and Philippians 2, summarizes it nicely. This power cannot be bought or taken a la carte as Simon Magus attempted to do in Acts chapter 8. It is only available as a gift of God. We cannot approach the Holy Spirit of God and the power of God with a syncretistic mindset of simply adding the Spirit to other views and methods of attaining power. For the rest of the week, I want to simply read some of the texts that magnify the power and the majesty of Jesus. If we think that we can manipulate Jesus, use the power of the Spirit for our own personal purposes, attain the ends of Jesus' power without following the means of the cross in humility, or abuse our power for our own benefits, we simply don't grasp the preeminence and the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is the king of his kingdom, and he is the king of all creation. He, and the spirit who proceeds from him, is the source of power in the Christian life. We are called to worship and steward his power in creation until his return, not take it for ourselves. Matthew 28, 18-20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, this is before he ascends into heaven, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Colossians 1, 15-23 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Don't miss that. The means by which uh, all things were reconciled to Christ was by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Next, Ephesians 1, 18-23. Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is in, invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Ephesians 3, 14-21 For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his, his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. For additional content, I wanted to read one of my favorite portions of the Chronicles of Narnia from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, talking about Aslan. Aslan is the figure for Jesus in the story, if you're not familiar with it. In the context, the beavers and the children are talking about saving Tumnus. This is a children's story, if you're not, if you haven't listened to it or read it before. Uh, but it is just packed with great theology and very simple ways of describing complex truth, which I love. So they're talking about saving this fawn named Tumnus from captivity to the White Witch. It's no good, son of Adam, said Mr. Beaver. No good you're trying, of all people. But now that Aslan is on the move. Oh yes, tell us about Aslan, said several voices at once. For once again, that strange feeling like the first signs of spring, like good news, had come over them. Who is Aslan, asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole world but not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time, but the word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle the white queen, all right. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. She won't turn him into stone too, said Edmund. Lord love you, son of Adam. What a simple thing to say, answered Mr. Beaver with a great laugh. Turn him into stone. If she can stand on her two feet and look him in the face, it'll be the most she can do, and more than I expect of her. No, no. He'll put all to rights. As it says in an old rhyme in these parts, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You'll understand when you see him. But shall we see him? asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve... That's what I brought you here for. I'm to lead you where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know he is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I'm longing to see him, said Peter even if I do feel frightened when it comes to the point. That's right, son of Adam, said Mr. Beaver, bringing his paw down on the table with a crash that made all the cups and saucers rattle, and so you shall. Word has been sent that you are to meet him, tomorrow if you can, at the stone table.